What a blessing. The Word of God coming to us. What a miracle. As we began reading today, it began with Herod Agrippa the first. You know, too often I think we, we just read these names and we blow them off. We don't ask, who was Herod? And actually, we can't even ask who was Herod because there's a lot of Herods. This is who was Herod Agrippa the first, because he was the one that we're talking about. So I thought I'd go ahead and edumacate you guys. We're all good at getting edumacated. Um, Herod Agrippa the first was born around 10 B.C., grandson of Herod the Great. He grew up in Rome where he had been since the age of since 7 BC, sorry, since 7 BC after his father was executed. It's repu- reported that he lived his youth as something of a playboy as he received funds a pension from Herod Antipas which is also in the Bible. Herod Antipas uh, is his uncle. In the year AD 36, he offends Tiberius and ends up in jail until Caligula releases him at the death of Tiberius. And he'll work his way up the ruling class in the Palestine region that's Judea, Samaria, Galilee, the Transjordan, the Decapolis. In this region, he's going to work his way up the ruling class until AD 41 when Emperor Claudius, who's actually a friend of his from his days in Rome, becomes emperor. It's all about who you know, isn't it? And his friend, the emperor, appoints him as king of the Jews. Now, we've already seen this as we talked about Jesus being put up on the cross labeled, here lies the king of the Jews. This is one of the men that it will upset. The one who's been labeled king of the Jews, Herod Agrippa I. He's the last king to unite the Jewish territories. He's Hellenistic in ways, which means he has Greek things like he does. Um, he brings in theaters and bathhouses, which uh, makes the city what we call a pagan city. He's very much, but he's also known as a Jewish um, king, which, uh, so depending on which historian you're reading about, some might focus on his Jewishness, and he will do things like build the temple in Jerusalem. He's also known for killing of Christians, as we talked about last week, when he tried to call, kill Peter, and he did kill James. In this passage, uh, Agrippa had reigned some three years over all of Judea, and he came to Caesarea, and he, he becomes angry with the people from Tyre and uh, Sion. Uh, uh, you know, I know I know how to uh, speak. Sidion. <laughs> 
and um, he becomes angry with them. And these people had been, um, they're on the coast cities located north of Caesarea. And since the days of Solomon the king, these cities had relied on Judeans for their food supply. Now Herod Agrippa is about to give an address to the people. And on that day, uh, Josephus, the historian Josephus tells us that he puts on a garment made solely of silver. And it was a wonderful design. And it says that he came in the morning time. This is important. Came in the morning, which means that as the fresh reflections of the sun shines off of his silver clothes, it looks as if he is a god. He set the stage to set himself up to be the voice of a god. And when they see him and the radiance that is shining off of him, they know this is the voice of a God, not of man. So as he gives that address, they ascribe deity, godhood to this man, this wicked man. Luke implies that He's given the opportunity to even deny the fact that he is a God, and he doesn't. Failing to deny that he's a God, he's struck down by God's angels. Josephus goes on to report uh, that he lived for five more days. At the age of 54, he's going to be eaten by the worms. Probably died miserable, unhappy, and remembering that brief moment where he was ascribed to be a god. And how far he has fallen from godhood in those five days. Wow. That's the story we're reading here today. A man who became so prideful that he thought he could be God and was proven very wrong. As the worms began to eat him. Pride. Pride is one of those sins we think about probably quite often in our lives, or at least we should. It's listed by some as one of the deadly sins, even by some the deadliest of all sins. In 1 John, it's part of the pride of life is one of the three things they label all sin as being part of. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride is a sin. Let's talk about what pride is. Pride is not 
hey, God loves me, I'm good. Pride is saying the excessive point of self-image that leads to disdainful behavior towards others. Pride is lifting oneself up at the expense of someone else. That's what pride is. Even to the point of God. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that one of the things we struggle with in our lives? I don't think I'm a God, but don't we often say, I know better than God? I mean, isn't that what sin is? God says, this is how you're supposed to live. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're not supposed to do. I know what's best for you because I'm God. And we say, you know what, though? I might know better than you. I can do it my way. Isn't it, go back to the Garden of Eden. Isn't that one of the things they said? Is they, Well, God's surely not going to kill us just because we eat this fruit. And we don't surely die immediately. I think I want to be like God. Isn't that one of the things they, they saw it was, would make them wise, knowing good and evil, like God? Pride. We often say, I know better than you, God. For my own life, for my relationships, for my, the way I'm supposed to, I know better than you. I was reading a website, and it had a long list of pride versus broken people as I was thinking about this. And if you want that website, you can actually go to our show notes, <laughs> the sermon notes that are found on our website. Just go to sermons and click on today. It'll be uploaded as soon as the sermon's over. But um, I picked out four because I liked them. Proud people focus on the failures of others. Well, broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual needs. Proud people are, have independent, self-sufficient spirit. Broken people have dependent spirits. They recognize that their needs for others. Proud people have to prove that they are right. Broken people are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people are wounded when others are promoted and they are overlooked. Broken people are eager for, eager for others to get the credit and they rejoice when others are lifted up. Pride loves self above all else. And the Bible has a great deal to say on this. Probably one of the most famous lines about pride is in Proverbs 16, 18 through 19. Before destruction comes pride. If you're King James person, you might know it as pride cometh before the fall. And before the fall, a haughty spirit. Better a lowly spirit with the poor and then dividing the spoils with the proud. Pride is lifting oneself up. 
We often struggle with pride. There's no one in this room that is immune from the temptation of pride. You know, I'm not prideful, and I'm proud of how not prideful I am. We all struggle with the temptation of pride. It's what leads a lot of our anger. Anger is not a sin in itself. It's a secondary emotion that often comes because of our pride. Not always, but often because of our pride. So if pride is lifting oneself up at the detriment of others, what's the opposite of pride? It's a humble heart. A humble heart. And if we all have the temptation of pride in our lives, and we know we can't work our way out of pride, because that's, you know, if we, as soon as you work your way out of pride, you're prideful that you worked your way out of pride. That's just the way it works. We have to foster a humble heart. We have to work on a humble heart, and we have to check ourselves for a humble heart on a regular basis. So I put together a list of some things that a humble heart is. And these are super not easy. Um, number one, recognize your dependence on God. Recognize our dependence on God. You know, Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. When we recognize our dependence on Him, we realize that we can't do this on our own. No matter how much we try to do it on our own, we can't do it on We need a Savior. We need a Savior, and, and we need to put our, our trust in Him. Of course, as I say that, I think about all the people that put their trust in false gods, even those who claim to be Jesus. There's a lot of false Jesuses out there. One of the reasons we have to study the Scriptures for ourselves with the tradition as a community, as individuals, with the tradition of the family, because grandma-isms are not part of your Bible. We need to recognize our dependence on God, and He will make our path straight. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say it's going to be great going. He doesn't say that you're always going to have health and wealth and a great time. He doesn't say that He's going to take away all your pain and suffering. He says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to make your path straight. And we are dependent on Him. Number two, be secure in who you are. When we're secure in who we are, better yet, in who God is making us out to be. Because God loves you. Don't belittle yourself, put yourself down. 
God loves you. And that old self, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that old self is being put to death, and the new self is God is creating you into something new. Love the new self that God is making you into. Because He is making you into something good. He's a good God who makes good things. He's making you into something good. So don't be belittling yourself, putting yourself down. And you know what? This is something that we have the temptation to do. And some people have believed the lie so long you're telling yourself it's nothing you haven't heard all your life. Someone in your life had been putting you down for a long time. And then you started just picking up the mantra. That is not a godly outlook. That person in your life that belittled you was not a godly person. What they did was not godly. Don't belittle yourself no matter you are valuable, flaws and all. Because God is creating you into something special. You don't need to prove yourself. God loves you just the way you are. And he's going to continue to make you into something more. And the great thing about this is that you can do nothing that will make God love you any less. Because he's seen it all before and he loves you. The opposite of that is you can do nothing to make him love you anymore. Because he loves you. And so as we grow closer to him, we go through the process of sanctification, we'll be more like him. It's for our benefit, not to gain more love. He already loved us enough that he died for us. He values you that much. He said it was worth it. You are worth dying over. And a lot of times that's why we get prideful is because we feel like we have to lift ourselves up over other people, even other gods. And God says, I love you. You are valuable. Just grow closer to me. Step three, be interdependent. That's not independent. That's not codependent. Interdependent. Interdependent means you know you don't have all the answers. You know you won't always get it right. You know you won't always get it wrong. You are part of a team. The Bible puts it this way. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of a team. A valuable part of the team. Which means you don't need to be better than any other part of the team because you're all on the same team. You don't need to be fighting over who gets the best you know, position on the team. That's how teams lose. I've been to many basketball games. I've seen too many people fighting over who has the best and they lose 
Oh, they might win for a little bit. But once you shut down that one person, then the team loses. We're interdependent. We are in this together. And part of that means we need to be surrounding ourselves with the right type of person. We need to be the right type of person, and we need to be surrounding ourselves with the right type of person. If you got someone in your life belittling you, they're not the right type of person. If you got someone that won't accept the real you, they're not the right type of person. If you are belittling someone else, you're not the right type of person. If you won't accept someone for being the real them, you're not the right type of person. We're part of the team. And part of and step four, be real. Mask. We all wear them. And I'm not talking about the COVID kind. Mask. We all wear them. We learn them relatively young. Uh, some new stu- uh, studies have come up. We start learning them about the age of 10 to wear mask. You wear this kind of mask at church. You wear this kind of mask in front of your friends. This kind of mask in front of your family. This kind of mask in front of wherever you go. We put on mask because we got to be the right kind of person for the right kind of situation. But you know what, if we're real with ourselves, we're real with God, those masks start coming down, we find out who we really are. We can love ourselves and we can love others because God loves us, the real us. When we put on those masks, we think, well, God only loves me because of this mask. And so in another situation where you're not wearing your God mask, you don't need to love others because he, God's not pouring out his love on that God because you ain't got your God mask on. We need to be real with each other. Flaws and all. Problems and all. When we're real with each other, we can recognize our own sin and the sins of others and we can help each other out We don't need to be that we're supposed to have it all together kind of people. God never says, oh yeah, by the way, if you're going to come to church, you have to have it all together. That's not in the Bible. That's something we've made up. I'm going to read a quote from Ignite Your Faith by um, Tim Clinton and, and Max Davis. Humility is seeing yourself as we actually are. Good, bad, strong and weak, acting authentically on truths. Humble people have looked in the mirror of their souls and taken an honest inventory. They realize that there will always be a need for growth and confirming into Christ's image as a lifelong process. Humble people understand that their need for grace in their own lives and therefore can give grace to others. The Apostle Paul was a great example. 
He knew he was a new creation in Christ, covered in his righteousness, but the same Paul who taught also that I am less than the least of all God's people. Ephesians 3, 8. A new creation, yet least. Because we, if we're real with ourselves, we see that we are flawed people. We're not the worst person in the world. Because we're not belittling ourselves, right? You're not the worst person in the world. All of life's problems is not on you. But we can be honest, we have these problems and we need grace. And when we recognize that we need grace, we can bestow grace on others. And that's the opposite of pride. When you don't need grace, you don't need, you don't need to show grace, and therefore that pride sticks in because you don't need no grace. Therefore, you could be rigid as all you want. But the truth is we need grace. We're flawed people. And because it's not us versus them, it's us and God, we're all in the same boat here. We need grace, and therefore we can show grace. Paul understand, understood humility. I guess as we move to our next questions, the immediate answer is, he understood it. Do you? Are, are, we have to be the ones who foster a care uh, of, of going through the process of letting go of pride. And it's something that sneaks on up on us. And as soon as we think we've got it licked, it's going to sneak back up on us. It's something we have to wrestle with. The pride of life is one of those temptations that we, we say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of, of life. All the other sins, we can narrow them down to those three categories. And how often do our sins fall into that category of pride? As we think about our next steps, we recognize God's position and our position to Him. And so we ask ourselves, have we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? Do we believe in Him with all that we are, the very nephish, the heart? Have we committed ourselves to His way, confessed he says, we confess with our mouth, we are saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. We need a Savior. You can't do it on your own. The next step for you, maybe you need to be secure in who God is making you into. You've had someone in your life, or maybe it's just you belittling yourself for a long time now. You don't feel like you're good enough. And the truth is, you're not good enough. That's why we need a Savior. But God is making you into something wonderful. And we're going to have to go through the process of that, which means change is not easy. I think about that clay, that potter's will. Has anyone ever worked with pot, uh, uh, clay? I remember the first time I did it, it was awful, it was messy. And I screwed it up really badly. But if I messed up 
this part down here, I couldn't just rub it till it fixed it. I had to tear it down until it was fixed. The Bible speaks about it with the potter's clay. It also speaks about it like a wall. If a wall is leaning, you can't just prop it up. Well, I'm, you know, some of us rednecks have tried that. You're going to have to tear it down and rebuild it if you want to do it right. Think about our roads out here, right? We try putting, you know, fixing the potholes, just pouring more stuff in it. Does it ever stay fixed? When you are secure who God is making you into, He's going to might have to tear you down and rebuild. That's not easy. It ain't going to be fun. But be secure that God loves you and is making you into something so much more than you could ever dream about. Be connected. Be connected, and maybe your next step is you need to reach out to that person that when they tried to be the real you, you didn't know how to handle them. They tried to be real with you, and, and it scared you off. Maybe you're the person that doesn't know how to take off your mask. You'll never be fully connected if you can't take off your mask. And I don't mean being rude. That's not what I'm talking about here. That's just another mask. Be real. Be connected. Be in community with God the Father, with ourselves, as we love one another. That's why if we, if we truly love God and we love others, then we're going to have a, ourselves in a proper place. We can't love others if ourselves out of place, Right? Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I lift you up. I pray that you, Father, will foster a humble heart in me, in this community, in this room, and those who are watching online. I pray that you will foster a humble heart. That, Lord, we know that all our struggles are worth it because you are making us into something new. That, Lord, we know that you are God and we are not. Lord, we know that we need one another. Help us to foster a humble heart, a circumcised heart, as we focus on you and do away with the pride of life that tempts us so often. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.